And though it doesn't feel like this now, this pandemic will pass. It won't last forever. And one day, hopefully soon, we will be looking back on it, not living through it. What you've seen throughout this crisis is that the, the union working together with the, 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 the money for supporting people through furlough, the, the army working on the, on the testing, moving people around. But now uh, what we want to do is build back better together. The reputation of the Scottish government tainted. The standing of this parliament diminished. A culture of secrets and cover-up that is only growing and it is all taking place on Nicola Sturgeon's watch. There is a reputation here that I think is uh, perhaps disintegrating before our eyes and it's, uh, it's not mine, may, may I say, but Ruth Davison has just gone through there uh, a litany of nonsense. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome back to The Steamy, the Scotsman's political podcast. After a a long hiatus away, we have lost the traitor to our cause, Gina Davidson, to an unnamed competitor. And in her place, we have a new political editor in the form of Alistair Grant, who's with us today. We also have with us, as always, Alex Brown, who is our Westminster correspondent and I think a first time appearance from Jane Bradley as well, who's another political correspondent at the paper. Alistair, first of all, welcome. Uh, You are our new leader. (laughs) Welcome to um, the steaming. Well, thanks very much. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. It's obvious what we're going to be talking about today. Um, It's the only show in town is the Partygate, the ongoing Partygate scandal and Boris Johnson, and obviously its impact on Scotland as well with the Scottish Conservatives imploding simultaneously. Um, Alex, take us through where we are at the minute. Well, it's weird you want to start with that, not Keir Starmer drinking a beer in the kitchen. I mean, have you not seen the Daily Mail? Like, you've clearly, you've misread the room. Yeah, I mean, the Prime Minister's lied to everyone, got caught, and now all the Tory MPs are kind of pretending otherwise. We are currently waiting on a report from a civil servant, which cannot rule on criminality, and we are putting all the MPs putting stock in that going, it's only right that we wait for uh, we wait for the findings, or, you know, he's apologised, that's that, which is essentially what they did when Dominic Cummings got caught. You know, you had MPs and cabinet ministers tweeting, the matter is closed. The report is not going to say anything other than, you know, he went and he shouldn't have done, and it's completely irrelevant. We know the Prime Minister went to a party, he said that he hadn't gone to a party, he told his MPs that, he told the public that, and then, of course, he did go to a party. He is a routine liar. It is in his behaviour and the way he conducts himself. And everyone knows it. The idea that these MPs are something like, oh, I can't believe this guy maybe is a bit of a liar when it's all on the record. You know, and they're so panicked. The briefings now are always oh, going to start reading his government papers. Like, what an embarrassing thing to say. The idea that the prime minister is going to start reading his papers. And so suddenly that's how seriously he's taking things. Um, which obviously if he'd done when Nazneen Ratcliffe was, you know, in Iran, maybe he wouldn't have incriminated her and got her locked up for longer. He is an appalling leader and it is a disgrace that they haven't already tried to get rid of him. Uh, good morning. <laughs> th- th- thank you for that. <laughs> I suppose I suppose the follow-up question to that is, it's been a few months now. I, I think you can probably go all the way back to, what was it, the first week of COP26 when the Owen Patterson scandal kind of reared its ugly head for the first time proper but it's been a a series of self you know self-caused events of you know of pain for the for the government i mean it's it's not got any better it's gotten worse as it goes on so it's really funny because i remember speaking to mps in like november december and they'd be the tory mps be like oh you know the pepper pig speech 
the sleeve stuff. It's really difficult, man. Like if it keeps happening in by May, I'm not sure we're going to be able to support this guy. But like, hopefully, that's as bad as it gets. He's going to like get his uh, get his stuff together. And narrator's voice, he did not get his stuff together. I mean, MPs are absolutely livid. I mean, most of them aren't brave enough to put their name to criticism, but they don't really need to yet. Like, he's done. He's dusted. He's washed. He is an. <laughs> It's a disgrace, really. Uh, and we're just kind of waiting to find out how that happens. But the MPs, they don't really know what to do because it's like, they, do they want another leadership battle right now? They've got, they're kind of putting stock in the idea that he can magically turn it around by being a fundamentally different person. We've got like a leveling up paper coming in February, uh, which, you know, was delayed anyway. So basically they're going to try and slap some sexy policies on the table, uh, which would be fine if they had any. I mean, you know, bear in mind, we're, what, two, we're halfway through Boris Johnson's, I'm going to say premiership rather than first term. Uh, and there is no, like, what, what have they done? We've got Brexit done, but that's still happening. Other than that, like, is there a big policy that any of you can think of that you're like, okay, this is what's happening? So it's just got worse. MPs are very, very unhappy, but they're not quite brave enough to do anything yet because... Who wants Liz Truss as a leader right now before the elections? Like, it's just May. He'll go He'll go in May if it goes badly, and it will go badly. What's your take on it from a Scotland point of view, Alistair, at the minute? I think it's so hard to say. I mean, I agree with Alex in the sense it does feel like he is done, but he is the kind of great survivor in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, is the appetite there to get rid of him at this stage? And I think, I think it's probably the case that with the Theresa May thing, I mean, you look back in that and there was this scandal going on for, this kind of disruption going on for a number of, you know, two years of will she go, won't she go. Uh, and you look at the Boris Johnson situation at the moment and it kind of feels like everything is happening very fast, that these things have come out and there's a lot of unhappiness among Tory MPs, but that happy unhappiness can last for quite a while. I think one of the, the key issues probably is the effect in Scotland and that seems to be not really taken into account down south to any great degree, which I think we'll come on and speak to in a moment. Oh, just the idea that, and so on the Theresa May thing, what was different about that was there was like a clear organised group trying to get rid of uh, Theresa, whereas with with the Prime Minister now, it's like a few people who are unhappy, but there's not like ardent Brexiteers who are putting everything else aside to get rid of him. There is no like, I mean, there's not like a Remain block or cabal or anything or people who, you know, really oppose parties who can get rid of him. And then I suppose on the Scotland front, you know, obviously Douglas Ross has come out and said it's time to go. Other MPs have basically gone, you know, you know, like when they go to the mattresses and the Godfather, they go quiet and you don't know where they are. That's essentially what the rest of Scottish Tories have done. There have been a few whispers and you might get, you might get a joke or an emoji back, but they're not really being, they're suddenly very, very quiet. Um, both, you know, not saying anything for a defence. And you just think, are they all on board? Because it only takes one and then Douglas is undermined and then he's going to have to go. It's such a mess. It's just so bad. It's so exciting, really. What are your thoughts, Jane? I think one of the things we've got to think about as well is what the feeling is among the electorate, not just the MPs. And when you look at what people are saying in England, I mean, obviously, you know, I've not spoken to every single person in England, but a lot of people still seem to be supporting Boris. And that just seems bizarre. They're saying, you know, oh, yeah, he did this. Um, It was an error of judgment. But a lot of people are still behind him. And that just... You know, he, he is, he, everything just slips off his back. You know, he can, he can just get away with it. And people still see him as this, you know, buffoon-like fool where a lot of people still like him. And it, it's very strange. It's a very odd cult of personality, really. What do you think is going to take to change people's minds, Jane? If you look at it from an objective perspective, as Alex says, Boris has delivered 
few major policy wins apart from Brexit. But then again, he won the election on the grounds of getting Brexit done. Do you think people will ever look past that and potentially start to want the change that, you know, Labour are calling for? I mean, they've got to, but it just seems so strange that people haven't. I mean, obviously some people have, but, you know, there are a lot of people who still just think, oh, you know, he's he's a clever guy. There's a lot more to him than we think. He's got this kind of emperor's new clothes kind of persona where people see the, the bumbling buffoon and they think, oh, yeah, but there must be so much more to him than that. There's so much more to see. But as you say, there's nothing actually coming out of that. But at what point people are going to realise that and actually start to push for that change? I don't know. It's the polling does not show now. The polling shows now that actually people fundamentally don't believe him. I think, what, 6% of people believe his explanations. Uh, his his favourability is now minus 42, the lowest of the Prime Minister, I think, on record. Public opinion has completely changed. I mean, I'm sure he still has some supporters somewhere, but there was some whatever they... When they just talk to people in a room... Focus group. Uh, James Johnson, who used to work in um, Number 10, and, like, former Tory voters, Red Wall voters... People who came over because of Boris were like, he's a liar. And the sudden, and I saw one that was like, he's just like another Eton person. You think, hold on a minute, like what, what that's not new information. You knew he you knew he went to Eton before the election. I'm not sure they agree. I think the mood has changed among the public, and the polling overwhelmingly reflects that. Yeah, so talking about those focus group comments, it, it, it took off on Twitter, as these things often do, but I've got them in front of me. James asked people, it's people who voted Tory for the first time in 2019 in Bolton Northeast, which was a former Red Wall seat. So essentially, exactly the sort of voters that the Tories need to hold on for. You know, One said, it's the fact that he lied. If he turned around and said, yep, I've done it, I'm sorry, that would have been okay, but he lied. What else has he been lying about? I think he's completely lost everyone's trust. Um you know, there was another one who was saying, you know, um, I did have respect for Boris with the vaccine rollout, but as time goes on, more stuff has come out of the closet. I think he's a bit of a chancer now. He shouldn't be doing the job he's doing. I just hope he goes. Whoever takes his place would be better than him. That's in incredibly damaging. Well, it is, but you've got someone saying he's a bit of a chancer. I mean, has he not gone beyond a bit of a chancer? It's like, what does he have to do to get beyond that? It's, that person may not be supporting him, but they're not. I mean, they are saying he has to go, but they're not saying, you know, he's the worst person on the planet. Do you think the mask is slipping though, Alex? Or is it because the issues around Partygate are so relatable to how people live during lockdowns that it's actually hitting home that, you know, he broke the rules that we all lived by that were, you know, major curtailments on our freedom. Yeah, I mean, I can't really relate to getting fired from the Times because I didn't make our quotes and I haven't lied to Michael Howard about getting anyone pregnant. So, like, I can't really relate to that. But the public can go, you know, and there's amazing, amazing scene with Trevor Phillips on uh, on Sunday shows. He talked about the fact he barely saw his daughter and she died. And that's what people were doing. People were not seeing their families. So it's not, it's, and it's not just that they broke it. It's that they lied about it. If they, you know, if they'd said about it, I think maybe they could have ridden it out. But the lying and the response and the attempts to cover it up and deny, 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 I think the reaction is more damaging. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's relatable because, you know, the whole we're all in it together. They'd stand on the front doorstep of number 10 applauding the NHS. And then they were going around the back and quaffing champagne and buying a fridge, especially for it. We were not all in it together. And I think that's what's cut through because everyone, you know, everyone else made sacrifices and didn't see their family. I spoke to someone this morning, you know, and MP was like, you know, they said they said a birthday with just two other people. Which, you know, it's not too bad. It's more better attended than most of my parties. But number 10, we're having parties on the regular. What are your thoughts, Alistair? Do you, do you think he's, do you think Boris Johnson is on the last legs or his last legs? Do you think he's, he will go within, say, the next six months? Or do you think that 
he'll ride this out like he has scandal after scandal? I think if I had to make a prediction, I would say, yeah, I think he will go. I mean, whether it's six months or a year, I think it is only a matter of time. I think, like Alex is saying, I think there was, you know, raw emotions and raw memories of the pandemic are still very much in people's minds. And there's a lot of upset and anger. And I think when you look at those focus group results, and I appreciate what Jane is saying, but I think they're just so incredibly damaging. I think if you're a Tory MP looking at that, you're going to be panicking. You've got local elections coming up. You've got a general election in a few years. I mean, is this the man you want to be leading you into that? Does it, is he going to have that public confidence? And I think at the moment, the answer is no. Uh, and this is a scandal. It, it just doesn't seem to ever be dying down. You know, every couple of days, something new comes out. We think, you know, this is the worst it can get. And then there's some other story that's even worse. I don't think he's possibly, I don't know if I'm going to regret this prediction. I don't think he's going to go in the next couple of weeks or anything like that. But I think he is, I think he is on borrowed time in that sense. Jane, I'll ask you the same question. It could die down. You know, at some point, the stream of stories may stop. And it's then at that point that I think people's memories disappear. And I think they go back to, you know, potentially supporting him again. You know, people who are angry now may not be as angry. Obviously, the people who've perhaps had a relative who, you know, died alone in a hospital bed during one of the hard lockdowns while, you know, Boris and cronies were partying, they're not going to forget. But people who've not been affected by something personally like that, I think eventually they might forget. So if he doesn't go fairly quickly, this could just eventually disappear. So do you think he'll stay? I don't know. I don't think he's ever going to voluntarily go. He's not the kind of person that's ever going to step down and say, okay, you know, fair enough, you know, you've got me. So I think I think it just depends on, on how strong the pressure is at what point. If he can get away with it and just stay here, he will. Alex, I'll ask you the same question. Do you, do you, do you think he's going to go? And could you take us through maybe the process that, you know, could lead to him going we all you know many of our listeners will know about the 1922 committee but maybe take us through how that might work after the sue gray report um comes in so they have basically left have to go to the 922 committee who are a group of tory backbenchers and a tory leadership contest is triggered when 15 percent of mps uh write to them uh the number of that i am checking is 54 um, it's currently, we believe it's to be over 20, possibly 30. And the expectation is it will go up over the weekend because MPs, and we've already seen this in some of the tweets from them uh, over, uh, over Sunday, Monday, they've gone back to their constituencies. And obviously people have gone you know, mental at them because they're spoiling someone who lied to everybody. So I would set the number to go up. And then once that happens and there's a vote of no confidence, and then MPs have to vote whether they support or don't support the prime minister. I imagine that we're not going to get to that point soon i wouldn't i wouldn't have thought so not in the next week the report's not going to be this week uh i don't believe and then even when it does because she can't rule on criminality i think mps will bottle it and maybe not be brave enough to put the letters in i mean just based on the current mood but i mean the thing is parties go up by the day and i do think the line won't hold so i, I don't think we're going to get to the threshold yet and if we do i think he'd survive it but we're definitely in the territory where it's only going to take one more bad response from number 10 and it could be, um, you know, that's all she wrote. I mean, we're, we're looking at, at at this with the assumption, of course, to a certain extent, I think you alluded to it there, Alex, that, you know, a leadership contest would be one that Johnson would lose. And I think the fundamental fact of the matter is that while many MPs might look at um, Boris and be like, you know, I've got no confidence in him, his responses to Partygate have been dreadful, blah, 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 you know, there isn't yet a standout successor and certainly not an obvious successor other than potentially Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss. But I think the last leadership election we had, it was Boris versus Andrea Leadsom by the end of it, who wasn't considered 
um, a front runner prior to that election at all. So, you know, as you alluded to, Alex, do, do you think that a challenger could win? Well, it was Jeremy Hunt against uh, You're right. yes, Jeremy last Hunt. time who was, by all accounts, quite good. One of the nicest men in Parliament, terrifyingly tall, but not particularly interesting charismatic. I mean, if you recall, there's a point in the... Um, in the debate where, in, where Boris doesn't have a kipper and so they had to be sealed because of EU regulations because that's what the editor of the Express had told him and it turns out that's not true but it didn't matter because he could just say it and everyone's like whee FDEU so that just carried on and I said F there uh, just, just to clarify so I mean I think there are successes I mean the, the it's more about having no confidence in him and then we have to have a competition Sunak and Truss are obviously the standouts uh, I think Jeremy Hunt you know is trying to get the support of the One Nation group but, you know, the One Nation group under Cameron, you know, was like the big beefy dog meme and now was like the small whimpering uh, dog. I mean, it has no real power or sway anymore. Most of them got, you know, got booted out anyway over Brexit. So, I mean, it's grim. Sunak is popular. He's got the whole I did a furlough thing. He fled to Devon to avoid being by the prime minister for his like vague apology. But the membership absolutely love Liz Truss. I mean... They're both pretty scary, but maybe not scary to Labour. I mean, Sunak, you know, the pint-sized killer. I'm not sure that electing another billionaire who is going to turn the spending taps on off even and doesn't doesn't really believe in things like tax or... <laughs> okay, I'll be very careful. And other things that maybe people, you know, need. Compared to Liz Truss, who's a fiscal libertarian, but, like, maybe can pick and choose her battles a bit better. I mean, she used to be a Lib Dem. I think she's probably smarter than Sunak in that she isn't as blinded by ideology and has much better photo ops. If nothing else, we'll get good photographs out of it. And hopefully large amounts of cheese. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll move on to talking about the uh, referee in the room um, that we've not mentioned so far or mentioned uh, briefly uh, in the form of Douglas Ross, who um, broke ranks last week after essentially nailing his colours to the mast prior to PMQs, saying if the Prime Minister had attended the May 20th party, he had to go. Shock horror, the Prime Minister was there and Douglas Ross, to his credit, came out and said that the Prime Minister must go. Alistair, you and I spoke to quite a lot of MS Scottish Tory MSPs on, on Wednesday and Thursday. What's the mood? Obviously, the vast majority, I think, are publicly backing Douglas Ross. Um, and I think there's plenty of folk who've said it's unanimous. But take us through what the response was and what your take on Douglas's stance is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's hard to exaggerate the scale of, of this in some ways. I mean, you've got, I think it's the first time in devolution that a, a Scottish leader has actively called on, you know, a UK leader of the party that he represents to resign. And in this case, it's a prime minister. You know, it's just an incredibly important moment. And I think to be fair to Douglas Ross, it was quite a, a he kind of backed himself into a corner in a way, in the sense he'd said that the day before, it turned out that Boris Johnson had attended, so he kind of had to follow through. But it's also quite a, a kind of brave, principled thing to do in a sense that he puts him in quite a sticky situation because if Boris Johnson doesn't go, what does Douglas Ross do then? Uh, if you listen to people like Adam Tompkins, the former Scottish Tory MSP, he's basically in a situation where either Boris Johnson goes or Douglas Ross has to lead some kind of split from the UK party, some kind of separate Scottish centre-right party in Scotland, kind of cut, cut his ties with the UK party in a sense. It was a brave thing to do. The kind of feeling among Tory MSPs, there was just complete fury, to be honest. And this comes in the back of you know, endless scandals now, the last couple of months, the last few weeks, you know, it really was just the cherry and the cake in that sense. So a lot of anger, uh, a lot of worry about the impact it's going to have on them electorally, a lot of worry about 
future general election. I mean, if they're in the situation right now, which I think is the point that Adam Tompkins makes, where if Boris Johnson doesn't go and the Scottish Tories don't split from the UK party, what are they going to do come the next election? It's even going to be difficult for them in the local elections, I think. You're campaigning for a party where you don't support the ultimate leader of that party. What, what do you tell people on the doorstep who ask you about that? How do you frame that? I think it's an extremely difficult situation. It'd be really interesting to see what happens next. Jane, what's your take? Do you think it was the right move from Douglas? I think he had to, really. Though obviously it produced more sort of separation from England. You know, I mean, it's it's made it quite clear what the current Tory government in Westminster feels about Scotland. I mean, if we didn't already know that already, some of the, the comments that Jacob Rees-Mogg made, not just about Douglas Ross, but the kind of words he used where he said things like, you know, Douglas Ross is just in Elgin, the, the, the PMs in, in London. You know, I mean, the contempt in the way he said that kind of thing, you know, that's just going to anger Scots across the board, not just Tory supporters. Yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? I think Jacob Rees-Mogg came on news night called him called Douglas Ross a lightweight which is about as damning as it gets although Jacob Rees-Mogg is the sort that I think doesn't tend to to mince his words with these things it certainly feels to me like Douglas has has gambled his political future on on Boris Johnson's you know if Boris stays Douglas surely cannot go into local elections in May backing the Scottish Conservatives as you said Alistair we had Adam Tompkins and others talking at length over the weekend about the potential future of the Scottish Conservatives. You wrote a story about it and had some interesting words about funding for any potential you know, new party. Do you think it's a genuine possibility? Adam Tompkins basically promoted it as this, you know, set distinct but not separate party, i.e. you could sit as a Scottish Tory MSP in whatever different party and different vehicle that may come about, but you could also then go and be an MP for the Scottish Conservatives and the the UK Conservative Party down south. Do you think that's a feasible, do you think it would ever be credible? Yeah, so Adam Tompkins basically wants what he calls a clean break. So the Scottish Conservative Party in Hollywood would have pretty much nothing to do formally with the Tory party at a UK level. I think whether or not it's feasible, I mean, I suppose... We kind of get into a situation sometimes in the UK where we think these things automatically just aren't feasible, but they happen in other countries. They happen in Germany, they happen in Canada. You can have these kind of almost federal relationships between different legislatures. And I think it's not beyond the realms of possibility. And I think particularly when you look at the, you know, what's happened to the Scottish Tory party at the moment, I definitely think there is something to be said for the fact they have reached a ceiling in support as, you know, the Scottish part of the UK party. They will always struggle with their association with the UK Tories, their association with people like Boris Johnson, just because he's not popular in Scotland. So I think there's an argument in that level. I think it is difficult to imagine it happening anytime soon because, you know, not least we've got the local elections in May. It's not going to happen before then. And I think as John Curtis, the kind of polling guru says, you know, if you're going to do this, you have to, it's a long-term project. You've got to, it's going to take a long time for voters to accept that this party is not the Scottish Conservatives. It's not linked to the, the Conservatives at UK level. It's arguably the best time, isn't it, at the minute to to start it in the sense of if you start it after after May's local elections, you've got the vast majority of a Holyrood term before the next election, up here at least, to to set that stall out. Exactly. I mean, that's the point that Andy McIver, the former head of communications for the Scottish Tories, makes, that he he thinks after the May elections offers a perfect time because you've got that a good length of time to wait until the next Holyrood elections, a good length of time to establish it in voters' minds. And uh, you were kind of alluding to it earlier on, one of the things he said to me was that funding would not be a problem. He was part of the, the team uh, set up by Myrtle Fraser for the 2011 Scottish Tory leadership elections. And at that stage, Myrtle Fraser was basically floating the idea of a separate party. Uh, and Andy McIver is saying that 
you know, money wasn't an issue back then. There's lots of backers out there who'd be happy to support a centre-right, a separate centre-right party in Scotland. Probably worth saying that another former Tory figure got in touch with me over the weekend, disputing that a little bit. So it's certainly not a settled issue, but it's, I, I don't think it's unfeasible. I think it's maybe not particularly like, likely, but there's no reason why you know, it couldn't happen at some point in the future. Jane, Adam Tompkins said that centre-right politics in Scotland is in need of a credible and robust vehicle to get its message across. Do you think that the Scottish Tories offer that? And if not, do you think another party could? That's the question, isn't it? I think they are not offering that at the moment for so many reasons. They are, for Scotland, it's too linked to what's going on in Westminster. People are just are just not seeing them as a credible opposition at the moment. There is, as Alistair said, a possibility if they did sort of separate somewhat, maybe they could sort of rebrand in that way. Maybe that would work in the future. But that's going to take a really long time and it's going to take a really long time for that to actually work. I think also there's questions, you know, obviously when Ruth Davidson was head of the Scottish Tories, she was a much more, I don't mean to say this in a bad way to Douglas Ross, but she was perhaps a much more universally likeable figure. People generally, you know, regardless of their politics, perhaps warm to her slightly more. With Douglas Ross in charge, is that going to be possible? Though he has obviously stuck his head above the parapet and, you know, come out and ask for Boris's resignation, which is probably going to going to do him some good sort of popularity wise. Alex I wanted to ask you does Douglas Ross hold any sway with Scottish MPs? Well I mean no one's come out and said hold on a minute I like the Prime Minister he's a good guy which you would think if they really believed they would say I mean if you're a Scottish MP and you have the Prime Minister say and treat Scotland the way he does you know the vaccines have only got Scotland because of us they'd have nothing without us the way announcements, even about visits, don't go to any papers in Scotland. They go to UK papers. Anything about the union is never told Scotland. It's told to people in England. It's not like he's an asset, is it? I mean, it's, he's known to be politically toxic and he's like a, he's a weight that they have to bear with them when they go knocking on doors. I mean, it was nothing to do with their campaign. He didn't, I mean, it didn't go up during the election. It was all just snow to India F2. He was out of sight and out of mind. So there are people who backed Boris to be leader among the Scottish Tories. But you will know not a single one has come out and said, I support the prime minister. I mean, Andrew Bowie resigned from his role earlier that when the sleeve stuff was all going on, which now looks like a smarter move than ever. Douglas went before over the coming stuff. So I think, you know, I know that they, they get a lot of stick, but the Scottish Tories have taken principled stances on these things. And I don't think any are going to come out and say we like him. And even if they do, they're smart enough not to say it slightly adjacent to this, is that any drop in the Scottish Conservative vote maybe isn't particularly positive for the SNP. There was a little bit of talk, at least from, I think his name is Patrick English, who who works for YouGov, on what he's labelled the Yellow Belt, which is a group of seats in the Central Belt that are currently SNP, but are within reach of opposition. And I wonder what you think about this. Do you think all of this scandal, all of this undermining of the Scottish Conservatives opens doors for the Labour Party in Scotland, you know, potentially at a general election, either early next year or in 2024? It's an interesting question. I was speaking to the pollster Mark Diffley about this last week. The point he was making is that, you know, it kind of works both ways in a sense. It's a boost to the SNP in the sense that Boris Johnson's unpopularity can be seen to be kind of fueling some support for them, some support for independence. But it's also potentially a boost for Scottish Labour because the Scottish Tories have set themselves up as the party of the union. You know, they're the most forthright, the most united in defending the union, defending the UK. Labour in the last few years has kind of got itself a reputation for tying itself in knots when it comes to the future of the UK. You know, you've got 
all the problems under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership in terms of their kind of slightly shifting position, the position being a little bit different from Scottish Labour. And I think if if you've got a leadership in Anna Sarwar and Keir Starmer that at the moment seems quite united in the sense that they don't want another referendum, they're you know explicitly pro-UK. Anna Sarwar last week saying that candidates for the future Scottish Labour candidates will have to be pro-UK, have to be pro-union. If you've got them setting themselves up like that, you've got Scottish Tories riven with divisions and seemingly at odds with the party and the rest of the UK, then I think it does offer opportunities for Scottish Labour to attract back some of those voters. You know, whether or not that's going to lead to massive success in elections is a different matter, but it'll certainly be seen as an opportunity for them. Would you agree with that assessment, James? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, yeah, I think I'll just basically sum that up. I think it's worth asking Alex as well, just as, as a last word, it would be irresponsible not to talk about Sir Keir Starmer and his response to all of this. Do you think he's hit the nail on the head with his response? As you alluded to right at the start of this episode, he's been attacked by certain parts of the national media in London about beers. I think it was a story that actually broke eight months ago and has just been recycled, but and was legal as well. And, and was legal. But do you think his, his response has been the correct one? Do you think it's it's hit the, the right notes? A lot of people are suggesting that the fact that he resisted calls, nudges to call for Boris's resignation before now means that now he has, it has more impact. Do you think that holds? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Ian Blackford said he should resign, but Ian Blackford says that every week. Ian Blackford thinks Boris Johnson to resign if he opens the door. I mean, if he breathes, it's all for him to go. So yeah, I mean, much better. And the whole the whole point of Keir is he's been like quiet, restrained. He's supporting the government, blah blah blah, and all these things, which is going to get small C conservatives to vote Labour for the first time because he's with a flag, and will enrage people who are on the left and don't want to vote Labour, but will anyway. So, and now he's done this. It's like a good intervention. It makes him look like he has been reasonable rather than just playing politics. I mean, even when he called for it, Boris Johnson's response is like, uh, you know, I see why the honourable gentleman has said that, and I and I and I understand." But I think it is right. We wait for the report. I mean, he's not saying, hey, you shut it. How, you know, you say that every week, which is what he said. To, like, he couldn't laugh at Blackford. You can't laugh at Starmer anymore. That joke isn't funny. So I think he's absolutely nailed the tone. He's on the airwaves this morning, you know, saying more about how it's a disgrace. Now he has to go. It's like if your mum's always angry at you and your dad's usually quite quiet. But then if you really do something, your dad says something, then you know you're in trouble. That's exactly what's happened here. I and mean, Akira's kept it pretty restrained. And now he is ready to smash up the prime minister. So last question for everyone is going to go straight to the point. I'm not talking about after election. I'm talking about who will be the next prime minister after Boris Johnson. Uh, I'll start with you, Jane. Next prime minister after Boris Johnson. I think the Tories are going to hang on and I'm going to put my neck out. I think think it's going to be Rishi. Dishy Rishi. Uh, Alex? So it will be Rishi Sunak. If it, you know, it's just because I have a leadership contest, but if there's a general election, it will be the people's princess, the best hair in Westminster, Sir Keir Starmer. Alistair? <laughs> Man, it's a difficult one. I think, uh, yeah, I think Rishi Sunak's a good bet. I'm actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this the worst answer ever. I think Rishi Sunak is a good bet, but I also think Keir Starmer is a good bet too. There you go. I've sat completely on the fence. You should really be a Lib Dem. <laughs> but I think I'm going to stick my neck out and say Liz Truss just as a left field or arguably right field choice. That is a disgrace. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, all of you, for, for joining us on the return of the Steamy. And we will be back next week as well. Thank you very, very much for listening.